0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 94. This week's feature, Suburbia versus Mad King Ludwig. We're also talking about our Extra Life Year 3 auction on Board Game Geek. So be sure to check that out. But now, on to the episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at DicetowerNetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. Welcome to the episode, everyone. We are talking about our Versus feature. This week, it's going to be... The castles of the Mad King Ludwig versus Suburbia. Ted Alspach battle to the end. But before we get into that, we wanted to talk about a couple of other things this week, especially our Extra Life auction on Board Game Geek. Yes, that is correct. This year, the third year of doing our Board Gamers Anonymous Extra Life event. We wanted to bring it out to you so you have an opportunity to bid on all these great games that are given to us by publishers and some of the games that we donated ourselves to the auction. Anthony, why don't you tell us about this? Yeah, so this is year
1: three. Uh, Like Chris said, we've been doing this for three years since basically we got started as a podcast. We wanted to give back, and this is one of the major events that we have every year. And this year, what we decided to do, since the four of us have kind of scattered to the wind and are no longer in the same geographic location as each other, is to sit down and do an online auction, do something where everybody can get involved and we can interact with all of you, the listeners, as well as anybody else out there who wants to help and give back. So what that means is we, once again, have partnered up with a bunch of publishers and they've generously donated more than 50 games, as Chris said, including a few games from our own collections. And those are all listed on BoardGameGeek in a geek list that you can find if you go to boardgamersanonymous.com and click on the Extra Life link at the top of the page, or if you do search for Board Gamers Anonymous in the geek list. I think we're in the top page right now. A lot of people have been very generous in giving us thumbs and keeping us at the top of the list. If you want to help out, if you want to give back to this awesome, awesome cause and help us kind of just do really well this year uh, towards our goal, um, look that up, find the geek list, bid on some of the games that are on there. There's a lot of really good games there. It will be up until November 8th. So when you're listening to this, you have about a week until the auction will be wrapped up. And there's a lot of great stuff there. So again, if you're on there already, thank you. If you haven't yet, check it out. I will be on there personally, uh, responding to any comments or questions. And we really look forward to seeing how big of a turnout we can have this year for the Extra Life event.
0: Yeah, this is an excellent opportunity to support Extra Life a charity that brings gamers together to support little gamers in hospitals that really do need your support. This charity is there to help everyone in the Children's Miracle Network of Hospitals. So please check it out. Please donate as much as you can. Let's pump those numbers out. Let's support our future gamers. So this way, everyone's healthy, safe, and at the table. So with that said, let's bring you some other news from outside in the board gaming industry. Drew, what do you have for us this week? Shout it from the tabletops. <laughs> Sir, you're going to need to get down from there.
2: Hey, guys. Time to shout it from the tabletop. And, you know, it gets lonely up here on the tabletop all by myself. So, you guys, if you want to come up and join me, you know, I got one of these new Geek Chic tables. They're gigantic.
0: Ooh, so, yeah. That is they, the it, perfect table from shouting.
2: It's the shouted out table from Geek Chic. Definitely.
0: I hope you're getting a percentage of that, Drew.
2: Yeah, I, I get a commission every time somebody says, "Give me that shouted from the tabletop table." <laughs> it seats four people on the tabletop comfortably. <laughs> there you go. And then you put a little table on top of that table.
0: Nice. <laughs> so
2: that's a true table topper. I want to talk about some of the interesting things that I've read in uh, some threads and some internet posts recently. First of all, a new trend I want to alert you guys to. And it's, it's so new, so interesting. I didn't want to wait till uh, the end of the season, end of the year, when Chris and I do our Trends of the Year episode. It's pop-up board gaming. In the past week, I saw two different posts about uh, different kinds of pop-up gaming. In Minneapolis, they created a pop-up bus stop, uh, a sheltered bus stop. And I'll, I'll post the link to uh, this article and to the photo in our show notes you got to see this. It's an enclosed bus stop with uh, cushions for the seats, lights. There's a table and books for reading, and there are board games there. There's enough room for you to play a little board game while you're waiting for the bus to arrive. Pop-up board gaming. And in the U.K., there's a group called Ready Steady Roll that's been creating pop-up board game cafes at malls. They've done this a couple times now. And they're going to be doing it in the, uh, more as time goes on. Do you guys see a role in uh, board gaming's future for pop-up uh, stores and other pop-up activities? Would you guys like to put one on?
1: It's an interesting idea. I mean, when we were at Gen Con, the mall there had a, a pop-up geek chic store, right? That we actually hung out and played a game in front of. Oh yeah. And that was pretty cool. It was a little random and kind of out of the way. And probably a lot of people were very confused by why there were so many board game tables in the mall. But it was kind of a cool idea. And I could see that kind of marketing ploy working in a lot of different markets, especially with all the conventions throughout the summer. Now us doing it or just regular guys doing a, a pop-up <laughs> gaming store or event. I'm not sure about that.
2: This has been popping up a few times this year. And I think that may be a trend to watch for the future. We'll, we'll see in our end of year special episode uh, if we think it rates being in our top 10 trends something else that i happened to see twice in one week was board gaming strategy gaming described as foreign policy it, it seems like you know henry kissinger was a good one they always uh, described him in terms of like a master strategist moving pieces around a chessboard uh, he always seemed to be viewing uh, board games or strategy uh, diplomacy like you were playing the actual game of diplomacy. And in the past week, it was also brought up in the presidential campaign where one person was accusing another candidate of treating foreign policy like board gaming. Guys, is this an insult to the board gaming hobby?
3: Well, I mean, the idea that politics and upper level governmental decision making is kind of like decision making in board games isn't really new, right? This is right? This is why chess was the the game of the intelligentsia, right? There's this idea that developing some sort of abstract capacity of strategic thinking will help you to understand all sorts of different environments. And I mean, really, in a sense, right, what we are doing in a lot of these games is gamifying aspects of foreign policy, right? To some extent or another, some more realistically than others, right? But you've got you know, military movement and economic power and all of these things that factor into real-world decision-making that are present in a lot of board games. So I guess it's not surprising to see that this line is still being drawn so close. There, there
2: is a lot of similarities, and I wonder just where you find more backstabbing, in a, a game of diplomacy or in real-life diplomacy it's, it's sometimes hard to tell the difference. So the one thing where I don't see a parallel, I don't see anybody trying to conquer and hold Australia. Two other links I wanted to bring up to you guys that weren't in the Twitter feed because they weren't really specifically about board game, but they sort of have a connection. I saw uh, an interesting article on Bustle.com. It was another one of these clickbait things, but it was thought-provoking too. What Your Bookshelf Says About Your Personality... I thought that was fascinating because everybody has a bookshelf and a game shelf. Sometimes it's games instead of books. Sometimes it's a combination. They, they describe different kinds of personalities or so different kinds of ways to arrange your collection, alphabetized, color-coded, uh, cluttered, or um, with a lot of open spaces where you put knickknacks, um, simple and small, or sometimes a massive, like you're in a library sort of thing. Guys, what do your board game collections say about your personality? That I have a problem? <laughs> but how big is yours? <laughs> you, you have a full house. You have people in that house and everything.
1: Uh, I'm not sure how many of them play any of these games. I just kind of collect <laughs> them. But <laughs> When you have a large pile of games on the floor that are going out the door that I'm getting rid of, that's larger than some people's collections, that's probably an issue. Oh, wow. Just...
2: <laughs> so at, at any, any one moment, your collection is just you know you're pulling items out just to make room for more
1: yeah i mean i i bought these shelves and i'm gonna cap it at that space so if i fill it up i'm gonna get rid of stuff i'm not gonna be one of those people with stacks of games all over the closets and everything but yeah organizationally um wherever they fit i think i don't think it says much about me other than that <laughs> you'll find room i know you yeah, yeah i got room for the kids <laughs> they each have their own room jack has almost as many games as i do
2: wow <laughs> what does his collection say about him
1: that his parents are.
2: that <laughs> his dad has a problem? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, well, how do you, uh, how do you guys, uh, Chris or Daniel, well, sort out your collection?
3: So both in books and board games, I am a by genre kind of guy. And I think one of my proudest moments organizing my new bo- board game bookshelves is I had this gradual slide from, like, completely cooperative games to slightly less cooperative games, also factoring in weight and complexity. So it was one of these sort of like, you could just go down from one end to the other and get a picture of like, all right, so start with this game, then move to that one, then move to that one, then move to that one. It was essentially one of our, if you like X, try Y formats, just on a shelf. Oh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very much a bi genre. I can't have this sort of haphazard, just random organization. You compartmentalize. I yeah, I have to. Man. Chris, what's what's your collection
2: look like?
0: Well, my collection has found a really nice space in my closet, which is actually pretty large. And it's always kind of funny when I have people over and I know that there is this large, looming collection of board games <laughs> behind this nondescript closet, you know, one of these double-door kind of closets. And I'm always kind of like, How well do I know this person to, you know, swing open these doors and show them, yeah, a good chunk of games here. Are they going to really get that at all? So, basically, inside the closet is a bunch of really kind of high-grade metal wire racks, which, in retrospect, were probably not the best idea for holding board games. But, generally, they're light and you can see through them. So, it kind of lent itself to transporting the games you know pretty easily the collection itself is organized by size just because that's how the shelves really work well my bookshelf and other stuff is a completely different story that is more along lines like as daniel was saying more by genre so all my kind of sci-fi fantasy comedy anything else that's not hardcore academic stuff is on one side and all the hardcore academic stuff is on the left side so kind of a left brain right brain kind of thing as far as (laughs) my bookshelves are concerned but the board games are really well mixed so you have your ameritrash mixing with your euro games on the same shelf and they seem to get along although you never know what happens when you shut off the lights i i hear pixar (laughs) is going to be doing a movie about this quite soon but until that day though they'll be safely well protected behind my closet doors and hopefully the unexpected wow. person will not be shocked at the amount of meeples that are hanging out there
2: well, so you're a peacemaker
0: I am I try people even
2: bringing them all together um, I'll tell you what, what my collection says about me I'm, and I'm counting this as my collection even though I'm. It, it's John McCallion's uh, 2000 game collection I'm just overwhelmed by it I, I keep trying to organize it and keep it under control but I am just overwhelmed by the extent of it and how to organize it and boxing i'm still boxing and reboxing trying to bring some sense to it what it says about me is if i have to juggle too many things at once i just i lose track i drop everything i get overwhelmed i got to keep one thing at a time so my game collection has always been fairly small personally my collection and this is just man i i don't know what to do with them all embarrassment of riches i guess you could call it but I, i long for the days when my collection was simple and manageable but i'll bring it under control There's one other um, link. Again, it's not a specific board game link, but I think it'll have repercussions. Uh, I read this week in um, Business Insider that uh, Amazon is continuing to build an in-house delivery system. We know they have all their distribution centers. They're building them everywhere. They're planning, whether through drones or whether through Uber-type drivers, to do their own delivery they're uh, from what I read. They're shooting for a 2016 rollout of this system. Their goal is to have delivery to you from from the order to your door in 90 to 120 minutes, hour and a half to two hours. What they're shooting for, one way or another. And I got to thinking, what's that going to do to the game store? The the one advantage that they had was. Uh, a gamer's need for instant gratification they didn't want to wait even two days for amazon prime they wanted a game right away and now amazon is promising that Do you think this is really going to make a dent a huge dent in in store sales
3: well i mean amazon has already kind of demolished a lot of the friendly local game stores so i'm not even sure if this is actually going to make that much of an impact at this point in time right Already you can have the game in two days or even you know, one day, sometimes shorter, depending on where you are and how desperate you are to get it. And I don't know if the difference between that and an hour is as significant as things like being around people to play with. So I think the real strength of the friendly local game store and the only thing that's going to keep them above ground is having a devoted and present community who like to play together. But, yeah, I don't I don't know if this will make it much worse for them. But, I mean, Amazon is already in the process of crushing the life out of them. So, But that was the one advantage that
2: stores had was that instant gratification. They could do it, and now they won't be the only ones who can provide that. I mean, you could conceivably be sitting there at a table in a game store wanting to play a game that the store doesn't carry, and you just ring up Amazon, put in an order, and while you're still at the table, it'll be there. I hope no one is that crass as to order it. A- game to be delivered to a game store but conceivably it could happen they got to step it up in order to stay ahead of amazon a lot of interesting things have repercussions on the hobby that's what we talk about in uh, shout it from the tabletop you can check uh, these links and a lot more a whole lot more uh, every day on our twitter feed at bga podcast there's a lot of news and a lot of fun uh, posts that that we send out plus we have some really funny caption photos we call uh, hashtag fun in games so keep an eye out for those also. That is our news for the week. Guys, um, listen, I got to get back down in the basement. I promised my game group I would, I would go through John's collection and find some really cool Halloween-themed board games for this weekend. I know they're down there. I just—they're <laughs> like dozens and dozens of boxes scattered everywhere. I need, to, I need to root around for a while, but I will be back. I promise I'll be back in time for the final round.
0: And now, our Acquisition Disorders— Acquisition to source, that's crazy. Only needs the base game, nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion, see nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion and the promos and of course the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos and the upgraded So components. for this week, we're going to talk what, about these what, games that we really need to get to the table and tell you why you might want to get them to the table too. Anthony, why don't you start us off? Okay, so this is a game
1: that has been out for a while, and a lot of people are a little confused about uh, how to buy it, which one to buy, and honestly, this Kickstarter is equally confusing. So I wanted to talk about it not only because I'm interested in it, but because I've seen a lot of confused messages go back and forth from people who are just not sure how to pick this up or in what format to get it. Um, That's Super Dungeon Legends. Now, this is the... It's version 2.0 of Super Dungeon Explorer, but it's the third major release of Super Dungeon Explorer. So real quick, just do some background here. The original Super Dungeon Explorer came out several years ago. It was awesome. People loved it. It kind of kicked off this whole chibi-ized Dungeon Explorer genre of games. Then there was Super Dungeon Explorer Forgotten King, which came out a year ago and was basically a complete revision of Super Dungeon Explorer with new arcade mode rules, which adds co-op mode, and essentially allows you to play solo or with other people. You don't need that person running the dungeon. That added a lot of changes to the game. There was also a way to kind of upgrade the old version to the new rules if you wanted to. So those two versions are still out there. This Kickstarter is for a hybrid kind of thing where they've upgraded Super Dungeon Explorer, the original, to version 2. So they've taken the original box and added in the new rules, that we're in Forgotten King, so you can play with the arcade mode. Then there is the Super Dungeon Legend. Now, the Legend mode is a completely new way of playing the game. It is a separate core box, and it comes with several different guides. There's a Hero's Handbook, an Explorer's Guide, and the Dark Console Grimoire. And shorthand here, without getting too elaborate, is it basically makes the game a little bit more like Arcadia Quest and adds the ability to run storylines that kind of grow over time. So it adds some of those RPG elements to the game. You can run campaigns. You can kind of build out your characters, add new items, adds a lot of new stuff to the game. There's new dice. There are new corridors and dungeon tiles, hundreds of tokens, 500 plus cards, new dashboards where you can keep your cards and record your statistics as you move forward. Lots of stuff in this box. Interestingly enough, though, no new miniatures in the Super Dungeon Legends box. Then they added a couple of new uh, expansion boxes that are in this Kickstarter. There's the Frostbite Ravagers. There is the Crown Guard. And then the Midnight Towered Level Box. So if it sounds confusing already, it's because it is. If you go to this Kickstarter page and you scroll down, there are about five different products listed. And then there are four different ways to back it, each of them with a different number of things you can get. There is a digital version of Super Dungeon Legends, where you can play all those story elements online. Um, that You can back that by itself, and you just get that. Then there is the new player, which just comes with the Super Dungeon Explorer 2nd Edition. And it's actually a pretty good price, considering the game's MSRP is $100. So you get it for $60 in the Kickstarter. Then there is Super Dungeon Legends, where you're going to get basically everything you need to get started. So you get the 2nd Edition along with the Legends. Then there's Dark Console, which gives you everything you need if you already have Forgotten King. So they're assuming you have what you need to play the second edition rules. And then if you're super confused or just have some extra money lying around, you can go legendary and just get everything, Um, which is where I'm tempted to go because it is very confusing. I'm very interested in this because Super Dungeon Explorer just has those awesome little miniatures and it has a lot of cool stuff going on. And they're adding the, the arcade mode edition is incredibly important, I think, because... I already have a couple of games that play that one versus all. It's fun, but there's a very limited audience of people that you can get together for that. And the arcade mode was really necessary for this kind of game, at least for me. Especially because if I want to play solo or if I want to play with my son, who's getting old enough where he thinks these miniatures look awesome. And they're not icky like the ones that come in the others or some of those other, you know, new Cthulhu-esque games. So it's Super Dungeon Explorer, it's a lot of new stuff. It is very confusing because there are a lot of different levels now, but basically they've taken a pretty decent game with some really cool miniatures and made it into what looks like a very good game. No idea how this digital version is going to work out. I don't think anybody's really had a lot of time to play with that yet, but already unlocked a lot of stretch goals, a lot of stuff here. I think it's up for another week as you're listening to this now. So if you like Super Dungeon Explorer and only have the first edition and want to upgrade it, check it out. If you've wanted to get into it and want to make sure you get all the good stuff, check it out. And if you just want to see all the cool miniatures, um, there's a lot of good pictures on here. So that is Super Dungeon Explore Legend. All right,
3: Daniel, what about you? What are you looking at this week? Uh, So this week, I'm looking at a game called Blackout Journey into Darkness, which is on Kickstarter right now. It's already funded, and with 18 days to go, I guess it'll be, what, 11 days to go by the time this goes online? Something like that. So, you know, you'll have plenty of time to jump in, and it's a a sure production uh, and this game, Blackout, is a post-apocalyptic dungeon crawler uh, set in the northern wastes. It's a co-op one-to-four player game. Uh, and the way that it looks to me, what, I'm, what I think of immediately when I see it is Mice and Mystics. I think of this because it is a campaign-driven narrative game with a strong co-op element. Uh, it looks like it has a somewhat stronger leveling and power accrual system than mice and mystics does because you can gather more and more tools as you go along uh in a way that mice and mystics had a pretty limited level progression system uh so it might be in a sense sort of a, a middle ground between mice and mystics and myth hopefully with a better rule book than the latter uh, at least when it came out and the game centers around exploring these black zones which are places where horrible monsters have clawed their way up from beneath the earth and Come from all sides, and there are valuable resources here that need to be regained for the safety of mankind in this sort of post apocalyptic world uh, where mankind has been totally overrun by various uh, monsters called the Brood. So, probably a familiar archetype of game now. Mice and Mystics really is the most prominent of these, but these sort of miniature based role playing slash campaign games. Uh, with a strong co-op element, and I'm generally a fan of all of these. Uh, Looking at the miniatures they've got lined up, they look pretty decent. They're not phenomenal, right? They're not cool mini or not, and that sort of quality, but they're not bad, right? You can't really complain about them, and actually some of them border on being pretty darn cool. Uh, Actually, pretty darn awesome. Uh, and they might not be finished quality right either because these are early 3D, proto- 3D printing prototypes. Uh, but yeah, so since I'm just a sucker for this sort of cooperative narrative-driven game, it's hard for me to pass up one like this. And it looks like they've got quite a lot of freebies going in, the way that they're unlocking all of their, uh, all of their uh, backing goals. Uh, so I'm also kind of a sucker for freebies. Uh, so there's good reason to jump in on this in the Kickstarter if you want it. Uh, you'll get some things that are either not for retail or would be retailed separately as freebies thrown in with you. Uh, so that's, uh, that's going to be my acquisition disorder this week, Blackout Journey into Darkness. Uh,
0: Chris, how about you? So for my acquisition disorder this week, there is a Euro game that I am totally into, even though I haven't got a chance to play it yet. It is the first in the great designer series from Stronghold Games. It's called Porta Nagra. This is a Euro game that was created by the designer team of Wolfgang Kramer, Michael Kesling. Now, I know them and I love them from one of my favorite games of current – one of my favorite games of all times, The Palaces of Carrera. I just love that game. I don't know what it is about that game. Haven't been able to pick it up yet. It's not available in the U.S. for some strange reason. Why Z-Man Games has done this to me, I do not know. I love this game. And I'm hoping to pick it up soon. But back to the acquisition disorder. Porta Nagra is an movement action area control game in which you are building from this black gate in order to kind of gain control and by using worker placement to gain, obviously, the most victory points possible. It's a two-to-four player game where each player plays as a master builder and you move around a circular track. Now, this part, I'm not too sure. It's probably the Palace of Carrera kind of movement wheel where you pay more for the resources. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of a rondelle. So I'm looking forward to that too. But by moving the master builder around this circle, things get a little more expensive. So I like that mechanic where you can do more and play more and have more of a fun time each turn, but it's going to cost you a little bit. We actually talked about this in a lot of other games and maybe in the future it'll be one of our top 10 mechanics, but nonetheless... Doing more at a cost, but that's still very fun. Now, while you're doing that, you'll be able to perform a number of different actions and be able to pull from your own personal draw deck. Now, what's really striking about this game is, is this beautiful round board, colorful pieces, and these 3D little kind of building pieces that kind of stack on each other. It reminds me of a game that I picked up recently, I haven't gotten to the table yet, called Arcadia. And it has these kind of like little square kind of castle building pieces. It looks like an outstanding game. Stephen Bonacord knows his Euro games. And I'm really looking forward to getting the first in this great designer series out to the table. That's Porta Nagra. And now at the table with BGA. So for our At The Table this week, we're going to talk about some games that recently got out to our table. And we'll let you know if those games are worth the buy and you should go out and pick them up. Maybe, possibly, they're worth a play and you should sit down and get a chance to get that gaming goodness in. Or maybe the game is a dodge and no matter where you see that game, you should avoid it at all costs or finally... Maybe that game is a burn, and that game just does not deserve to be in our industry, and you should avoid that game at all costs. Now, with that said, let's get on to the games. Anthony, what are you going to talk about at the table this week?
1: I got a game to the table, uh, kind of by surprise, actually. I, I actually planned to put a pull a couple of my own games out to the table, but I went to the game night the other night, and one of the uh, gentlemen there, Travis, had picked up a copy of Time Stories, and this is one both of you guys talked about in the past, and I that alone was the only uh, interaction I'd had with this game. It wasn't really on my radar, and I don't think I did an acquisition disorder on it. But I know both of you were very excited about it. So I was like, sure, I'll sit down and play
0: this. Uh, Daniel, um, did you hear that? See, hear how he's rubbing that in? Did you, did you notice that? Uh huh. Uh-huh, see, uh-huh. see, the guy moves all the way out to Pittsburgh. He's like, I'm playing all the games you guys want to play. Ha <laughs> ha. It was a random
1: chance to look at it this way. You have uh, successfully instilled the acquisition disorder upon me to where I sat down to play this game. Um, (laughs) So Time Stories is an interesting game. It's hard to describe up front. Um, Obviously, it's about time travel, but the actual mechanics of the game. uh, It's a bit of a mix between a storytelling role playing game and uh, a straight board game puzzle solving kind of game. It's cooperative. Um, It plays It technically plays two to four players, but, uh, and Travis said this, and I totally agree based on having played it a couple times now, you really need the full four. Um, And the reason for that is that as you go through the game, each of the characters um, that each of you will be playing will interact with things on a kind of a closed basis. So when you pull a card because you went to a location and you read that card, you don't read it aloud. You read it to yourself, and then you tell everybody else, what you read after you've put the card back down. So it kind of emulates this whole idea of you walking into a room, seeing some stuff and coming back and telling the rest of the group what you saw. It sounds complicated. It sounds like it might be a little frustrating, but honestly, after about 15 minutes, we really got into it and it worked really well. And people start picking your brain and asking questions and trying to pull more information out of what you said. Very, very interesting mechanic that way. Now the core mechanic obviously is time travel because it is called time stories and the, you know, thematically what's happening is you are a member of this time core in the future and you have to go back and stop whatever horrible thing is happening. I'm not going to go into a lot of details either on mechanics or the game itself, because there are just too many spoilers here, but I can tell you this, that you go back in time and you have a set amount of time um, that is set for you at the beginning of each scenario to complete and solve the case. When you don't solve the case, by the time the time runs out, you loop back and you do it again. Guaranteed, you're going to loop back probably twice, maybe three times. Uh, We've already looped back twice, so we're on the third playthrough. We have not quite finished the story mode yet, but we're very close and pretty sure we have the solution. But you're not going to be able to get through it the first time just because of the way the game is set up. There are a lot of different things you're going to interact with. So you're not just going to a place and reading a card and... You know, pushing a story forward. You are solving a puzzle. You're looking for clues. You are combining all these different visual cues that you get. Chris mentioned this in his acquisition disorder a few weeks ago. The artwork is fantastic, not only because it's, it's really good, but also because it's integral to how you play the game. Uh, there are clues hidden in the art, but also when you lay the cards out for any room that you go to, they form a panorama and you're going to each of those cards on the panorama represents something different that you can interact with. So you can literally look at the card and based on the information you have, decide if you want to go there and look at it further. This becomes very important because you have limited actions because every action takes time and you get the idea. Basically, you're going to not go to every card each time through. You want to be able to figure out which ones are the most important and the, the clues that are in the artwork are super important to that. I really can't go too much deeper into this game. All I can say is that if you like storytelling games, if you like role-playing games and board games and kind of want to get the you know to mix up a little bit, if you like a cooperative game that kind of builds over time, this is very interesting. Now, once you finish it once through, you're not going to want to play it again, but Asmodee has your back because they're releasing uh, new story packs, new scenarios every two months or so. They already released a second one that came out with the base game, the Marcy case. And the Marcy case is about zombies. This is the initial one is about an asylum. And there's already two more that are scheduled to come out, I think in December and maybe February. Uh, and those will be ancient Egypt. And then one is like an alternate universe medieval England. So kind of game of Thrones ish. So it's not only going to be horror stories, nor is it going to only be these you know mystery puzzles. It's going to be a, a breadth of different topics. And I'm very, very intrigued by it. So as long as Travis keeps bringing it, I'll keep playing it and trying these new scenarios out. It's a lot of fun. And I can tell you, this is not typically the type of game I really enjoy. I like mechanics. I like solving things. I like playing through a game in a single setting. This is much longer. And we played for four hours and weren't able to get through that third scenario. And that was frustrating. Whereas normally I would have just been like, I want to go home now. So it. Dragged all of us in. Everybody was very excited by the end. Um, We have this big pile of notes that we set aside uh, in the game box that we're going to (laughs) reference when we go back for the final playthrough. So that is Time Stories. Again, awesome game. Daniel, Chris, I think you'll both love this actually a lot. So hopefully you can get four people together and give it a go.
0: So for my at the table this week, I wanted to talk about expansions. Now, recently we had our episode about the top 10 expansions and I wanted to talk about a game that has so very many expansions that sometimes it actually works against the game and has given the game a really bad name. And honestly, that's because of the game manufacturer, and that's Steve Jackson Games' Munchkin. Oh, hold on, hold on. If you're not a fan of Munchkin, I hear you, but let me tell you a little bit why. With Steve Jackson Games' Munchkin... It tells you that you can throw all these different sets together and have this wacky, crazy time. What they don't tell you is the game lasts six or seven days and you eventually are so tired that you're just ripping out the cards and looking to throw yourself out the window. Don't do that. Let me tell you about how to play Munchkin a very little bit as far as how you should set it up and put together the expansions. Now, for this week's at the table, I'm going to talk about Munchkin, the base set which you all know how to play because it's one of the kind of keystones for gaming. You're knocking down doors, you're fighting monsters, you're grabbing treasure, and when you reach level 10 by knocking out a monster, you win the game. But basically the game is about the parody of going into a Dungeons and Dragons type of world. Now, sticking with that, I want you to stick with just the expansions. Now, maybe you have Munchkin and the expansions hanging around you haven't got a chance to play it yet. Or maybe people are telling you to smash the other base games together. Don't do that. Stick to the expansions. And the main reason for this is the base game, the expansions, the classes and the different races work together. If you're bringing another base game in, it's going to throw things out. It's gonna take longer to be able to do anything. So for the at the table this week, I wanna talk very, very quickly about the major expansions for the basic Munchkin set. So first up, Unnatural Acts. Now basically what you're looking about, what you're looking at with this set is getting orcs as a race. That's okay, and if you're an orc fan, i say that's worth a play for you. If orcs really are not your thing, there's no reason to pick this up. Next, expansion number three, Clerical Errors, adds gnomes and the bard class. Now, this expansion is a buy because you are getting a race and a class. And especially the bard class is a lot of fun in this mechanic. Is a lot of fun in this expansion. Next up. The Need for Steed, and that's pretty much what it sounds like. In this expansion, you'll actually be getting steeds so that your Munchkin will be able to kind of ride into battle on these wacky kind of creatures. So you can ride in with a dragon or a tiger or maybe even the giant mutant gerbil, okay? So this is an absolute buy. It really does kind of round out your character. So I think that's something you absolutely want to add to the set. Number five is D-Range, and of course, that's talking all about rangers. Now, typically, this would be a set that I would say maybe play or maybe dodge, but being that the fact that the ranger's special ability is to charm monsters into being added as steeds, it's a lot more fun. So you could have a Plutonium Dragon as your steed. It's amazing. So definitely pick up that set. The next set, number six, Demented Dungeons, is in a global effect deck. These really nice large cards, and basically what you do is when you kind of go and knock down one of these doors, you can actually flip over one of these dungeons, and it affects everybody. You know, this is kind of a bit of a hit and miss. Some people like them, some people don't. I picked these up. We played with them a little bit, and then we totally forgot about them. They're basically a play. I, th- I think I recommend playing them at least once and then maybe either deciding to add them regularly to the game or dodging them, but it's just basically worth the play. Number seven is cheat with both hands. Now, this replaces Munchkin Blender and more good cards, two other small older expansion sets. Now, what this does is allows you to add more cheat cards to your deck, which allows you to do more wacky things. I'm going to say dodge this. This is not a good expansion to pick up. It actually just makes things more chaotic. And usually chaotic is good when it comes to Munchkin. This is actually bad. You should have to play your class. And you should have to play your class weapons. At least to some extent. There's still going to be cheat cards. But not to this level. Avoid this one. And finally, there is half horse will travel. Now, While this does add centaurs, which are really great to add to this game, it also adds the elite, legendary, and elder class. Now, these classes break the game. They allow you to do things that are so super huge and destructive that if one person gets them and the other person doesn't, they have a crazy unfair advantage. Now, I get it. This game is very random, and it's not surprising that you would have a crazy unfair advantage, But even with Munchkin, it should be somewhat straightforward. So I'm going to say for that last expansion, number eight, you should dodge that. So there you go. I'm talking about seven expansions that should stay with the base set of Munchkin and play those together. So if you're going to expand the base set into a little more of a deeper realm, a deeper dungeon delve, just stick to those and that would be great. (laughs) And now, BGA's Feature Review. So for this week's Feature Review, we wanted to bring back one of our favorite features, Versus. Now, it's not about a game from two different designers, but two different games from the same designer. One of our favorite designers, Ted Alsback. Now, Ted is bringing us two great games, Suburbia and The Castles of Mad King Ludwig. Now, we love them both, but in this week's episode, we're going to smash them together and find out which building game tops them all. All right, Anthony, why don't you give us a start off on Suburbia?
1: Okay, so Suburbia is the first of these two games. You'll probably hear at some point multiple times even, (laughs) that Castles of Mad King Ludwig kind of iterates or improves on some certain aspects of Suburbia. But we do feel like the games are different enough that we can compare them because there are very different mechanics that are going on here. So as Chris said, Suburbia is about building your city, this kind of suburban landscape, um, American style. And the game is all about buying tiles, placing them together, building a tableau, and scoring in a number of different ways. You're going to be moving tracks up for income and for population, and then moving up on the score track um, as you go along. So for each turn, you're going to take and place a tile, and the tiles are going to have different costs based on where they are in the row. You are going to, you can also take a lake and get some money, and or you could place an investment marker and kind of double an existing tile. That's basically it. Based on where you place that tile and what it does, and a lot of the tiles do very different things, you're going to increase income, you're going to adjust your reputation, you're going to move up the score tracker, and at various points in the score tracker, you are going to go down in reputation. So there's a lot of different things that happen every time you place a tile. And As uh, an effect of that, there are a lot of things you need to keep track of as your income goes up or if a single tile triggers multiple effects from different tiles or if tiles that you have affect other players or vice versa. So there's a lot of uh, record keeping to be done, but at the same time, you really feel like you're building your own city in Suburbia. So that's kind of a very high level overview of Suburbia. There is an expansion as well. There's actually two expansions, but the one that's been out for a while, Suburbia Inc., adds a couple of new interesting things. You're going to get new tiles, but you're also going to get these border tiles that are these long stretches that you can place alongside your city that do a lot of very powerful things. Those border tiles alone add so much to the city. They are also potentially very damaging, although I've seen people do a lot of very interesting things, even with toxic waste dumps and various other very bad borders. That is probably the biggest addition of that expansion. The second expansion introduces the star mechanic. The star mechanic does a lot of interesting things to the game. We're not going to be really talking about that so much today, but it is out there. It just was released recently. So that's kind of a brief overview of Suburbia. Chris, what about uh, Castles of Mad King Ludwig? Why don't you give us a brief rundown of that one? Castles
0: of Mad King Ludwig is a tile-laying game in which you're building a little bit of a crazy castle as you put out this floor plan of random rooms that when they connect together in such a way they'll be able to score additional bonus points or actually lose points. Now, it is thematic in the way that you don't want to put a noisy room next to a bedroom because that's going to lose you points. But if you put one room, let's say, for example, the kitchen next to the dining hall, you will score additional points. Now, the game is basically about placing all of these different possibilities of rooms on a market. And the master architect is the one that decides which rooms cost what. As the game goes on, everyone's going to choose a room and pay the architect that amount of money for that space or be able to buy a stairwell or a hallway for 5000 Once they pick the room, they have to find a place to attach it to the rest of their floor plan, score the points, and at the end of the game, the person with the most points wins that game. Now, there is an expansion for the Castles of Mad King Ludwig, and that is Secrets. Now, what's really interesting about Secrets is it really takes that castle-building mechanic to its thematic conclusion. Now, with this expansion, you're going to get four additional goals, but also moats, which actually make it look like a real castle floor plan, secret passages, which will score you additional points, and every castle really needs to have secret passages, And finally, swans. Now, these count for victory points in the game, but also can help you in building throughout the game by giving you some additional resources that you need. So pick your tiles from the architect that selects them in different fashions, build your castle, throw down your moats, and then you have one of the crazy castles of the Mad King Ludwig. So for both of these games, the mechanics are quite similar. It is about tile lane. It's one of our favorite mechanics. And basically, the tile lane comes from this marketplace. Now, for suburbia, it's all about this randomized market that the tiles flip over and then eventually become cheaper and cheaper. Now, there is a situation where the early tiles in the A stack, the medium tiles in the B stack, and the final really expensive tiles in the C stack kind of build up in order to build an outstanding suburbia. Now, as you pick these tiles out, you want to really think strategically because where you place them and how they touch other tiles really does affect your score. Now, in particular, you are going to have a reputation track and you are going to have an income track. Now, as your reputation moves up, so does your score. Now, that seems great, but on the scoring track, there are these red lines, and when those go up, your reputation and your income go down. So while you want to have a booming population that's going to score you points, it is going to drag you down in other ways. Now, this game, beyond having the tile lane in the marketplace, it also has its own goals. Now, you are going to get a goal of your own that you're going to try to reach, and there's going to be community goals that everyone's going to fight it out for. So you really have to pay attention to everyone's boards. Now, in the castles of Mad King Ludwig, this is also very similar in the mechanics as far as having the marketplace. But as I said earlier, the master builder, one of the players, on each turn is going to decide where the buildings go and how expensive they're going to be. So there is a little more interaction here as far as deciding well, I think he really needs that tile, so I'm going to make that really expensive, but I can't make it too expensive because otherwise I'm not going to get money for him buying that special room. So beyond that marketplace, and once again, placing the tile, and depending on where you place it, the effects that take place, there's also going to be communal goals just like in suburbia and also just like in suburbia you're going to also have your secret goals but in the castles of mad king ludwig you're going to be able to get secret goals not just once at the beginning of the game but as the game goes on there are special rooms that will actually score you more secret goal cards there's also one unique mechanic on the castles of mad king ludwig which is on each of these rooms there are doorways if you're able to connect all these doorways with other rooms, then what's going to happen then is you're going to score an additional bonus, and there's a bonus card that lets you know what types of bonuses come from attaching that room. So, there's a little bit more kind of tactical decision on where you place the tile down and how it connects to everything else, but both games play very similarly as far as the tile placement mechanic. Now. In addition to that, there are the expansions. And as Anthony and I have both said, the expansions add these kind of big border tiles that are going to score you some additional points. But at the same time, those points come out as a cost because they're also going to fence you in. Now in Suburbia, it's going to lead to some really wacky designs And for the castles of Mad King Ludwig, it's going to box you in to really follow that kind of really square castle structure. Not to worry, you can build outside and you have those secret passageways, but nonetheless, those big tiles are going to be a big problem in the game. So, Daniel, you heard our kind of overviews of the two game. What do you
3: think about the castles versus suburbia? Where do you want to live So I've enjoyed both of these games. i played them both with you, Chris, in fact, and uh, enjoyed playing them both immensely. But when it comes down to it, I think the Castles of Mad King Ludwig allows for the sort of complexity of, of gameplay that make games deeply satisfying to me. Especially the master builder thing, the ability to sort of set and stack the deck in a way that can be advantageous to you, but you might get scooped, right? The need to understand and predict the wants and needs of everyone else at the table makes the strategic element and the tactical element of the castles of mad king ludwig much more satisfying to me i also just like the theme a lot more it's sort of more charismatic suburbia you know it's nice and kind of pretty but it's like hey, sort of sim city-ish which is you know it's all well and good but the castles of mad king ludwig is like crazy castle stuff and that's you know crazy castles these castles are awesome. So I would say both of these games are great, but Castles of Mad King Ludwig has eliminated from me any desire to ever get Suburbia. I would just get the Castles of Mad King Ludwig and be satisfied with that.
1: Yeah, I mean it's funny cuz you mentioned the um, and everybody mentioned this how the the uh, master builder mechanic adds so much more to the game and increases the, you know, the interaction and variability of the game, it actually just annoyed me. A lot, because it really slowed everything down immensely. (laughs) Every time it looped around, whoever was the master builder would sit there and stare at the tableau for like five minutes and try to like, they were just thinking too hard. Like, hmm, like it's you don't have information now that you didn't have two minutes ago. Just put them in order, please. (laughs) I felt like it slowed the game down. I felt like it made it take longer than it needed to. And on top of which, the game is kind of short anyways like it ends rather quickly you don't really get as many rooms out as you feel like you might want to and now this isn't saying i don't like mad king ludwig because i totally agree on theme i love some of the rooms there's a lot of cool stuff going on there i love the ability to close off the room and get the bonus by kind of completing your puzzle it does mean that if the first couple times you play the game you're going to do horribly Just guaranteed, whereas in Suburbia, you can kind of stumble your way into a strategy. And this one you will not because you really don't know what the tiles look like or how many where the doors are, how things kind of chain off of each other. But I got to say that Master Builder thing, it just it bothered me. And I think I'm in the minority on this one because I've heard so many people say that the uh, the way the market comes out in Suburbia bothers them more. But I kind of like that better.
0: Yeah, I'm on the kind of Castles of Mad King Ludwig fence here because I do enjoy both games, and they are very similar. It's kind of shocking how similar they are. And I guess the first thought is, is the Castles of Mad King Ludwig, the Suburbia 2.0. As far as the master builder is concerned, I do like the mechanic, and I understand where the AP comes from, because in the game, pretty much the only place you're getting money other than completing an activity room or taking money instead of taking a tile, which is something you really don't want to do is from having people purchase tiles. So you want to keep the good tiles away from your opponents, but yet at the same time, you need for them to buy them. So it's a bit of a challenge. Ah, I don't know. I mean, I don't mind it. I do feel like you do, Anthony, that the Castles of Mad King Ludwig does end way too quickly, and it does feel like I really wanted to build another, you know, four or five different rooms, and I really don't understand where Ted Alsbach was coming from there because it just always feels too short for me. Now, I haven't had a chance to play the Secrets expansion, and I'm really looking forward to that because it always felt like the castles was missing something. And to have those moats and the barricades and the swans might just give me enough to feel like this is a little bit heavier of a game. But without the expansion, Suburbia is just a more in-depth, mechanical type of game with kind of more interesting decisions to be made even though it's a little bland in its presentation and its theme
1: yeah i mean i so i have played the secrets expansion
0: and the
1: oh, oh go rub that in too
0: now yeah right no.
1: <laughs> come on guys quit making me feel bad i've played game for six months finally getting to play all of the, the f- games now all of the games <laughs> but I, I did get a chance to play it and The There are three modules, like you said, and the moats, they're interesting. I don't know. They're not as interesting as the borders are in Suburbia because the moats all do the same thing. But they do force you into a couple of interesting decisions. First off, if you close off your castle and get all three moats, it's pretty hard to keep everything self-contained. Because the game is short, like we mentioned, you can easily fit everything inside that space. But then you're dealing with things like, do the doors match up? Am I touching borders with an activity room? I'm going to lose points. So I really like that. It makes it, you have to kind of think about it a little bit harder. And then does that match up with the goals that are out there? Are you going for goals that are going to hurt you? Um, The bonuses you get from the moats are interesting as well. But again, it's not like, they're not asymmetrical. Every mode is the same. The secret passages, I think, are vital to the game just because, if you get an activity room down somewhere and you can't get around that without hurting yourself, the Secret Passage makes it possible. If something doesn't quite fit where you need it to, Secret Passage. If you want to double up the score on something, Secret Passage. It's kind of like those uh, the doubling tokens that they had in Suburbia, but much more functional. So that is my favorite part of the expansion. It's such a tiny little thing that could have easily been part of the base game, but maybe just came out as more people talked about it. We did not play with the swans. Um, the consensus from the other people at the table was that they're not—they don't add much to the game, or possibly the opposite. They add too much and kind of bog down the AP even further. Give you too many things to think about. So I can't really speak to that because I didn't play it. But uh, love the secrets. Not sure if the moats are that much more uh, interesting. But when you're comparing those to the Suburbia expansion and the borders and the mid-game goals, how I felt after playing Suburbia Inc. compared to to Suburbia and how vital that expansion was to build out that game. I didn't quite feel that with Secrets, but at the same time, I do seem to be on the minority in the group that I'm playing with. So I don't know.
0: It's tough. Maybe I just really like Suburbia, and that's the problem. (laughs) Well, I think for both of these expansions, both Suburbia Inc. and the Secrets for Mad King. I think they're essential for the game. By having those moats, it looks like a real castle. And without the moats, it looks like a couple of random kind of colorful squares kind of slapped together. So I really don't understand why this expansion wasn't in the base game because it really does make it a full game. And I think that that was a bit of a mistake here. Now, the uh, borders for Suburbia, other than the problems that you're going to have every once in a while with trying to find table space... It's a better expansion, and also it adds additional mid-game goals that come with the borders. So I think that's a good part, a good component for Suburbia to have added into the game. Um, I I think that both of these expansions are essential for a good play, but the games don't suffer without them. They just make the game so much better.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd jump in there as well. For either of these games, whichever one you do pick, <coughs> Castles. um I would, uh, I would suggest that you you, you pick up the re- requisite uh, expansion. It'll really open up the gameplay for both of them. I think. All
0: right, guys. So now it's about that time to actually make the decision on the verses here. Which way you want to go, Anthony?
1: Yeah, I think I've made it pretty clear which game I like better. I do really like Castles of Mad King Ludwig, and I do feel like it enhances and builds on a lot of things Suburbia does. But I also feel like they're separate enough games. Honestly, I could see myself owning both of these, but if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with Suburbia. It's uh, It's been a favorite for a long time, and Castles of making King Ludwig doesn't do enough to remove it for that place in my collection.
3: How about you, Daniel? Well, you know, I'll put it this way. Uh, so if you grow up in a suburbs, you won't, you know, the theme of Suburbia will be boring to you. Uh, so, you know, go for castles. And if you grew up in a castle, maybe you want to just go crazy and roll around in the suburbs. Uh, but I think for most of us, it it should be Castles of Mad King Ludwig by a fair margin. Well, for me, thematically, the Castles
0: of Mad King Ludwig mm-hmm. really hits me really hits home for me because I've always wanted to live in a castle, so this is awesome. But yet, at the same time, Suburbia mechanically as a euro game really does fit so much mm-hmm. of what I like to do, being able to build towards final goals in a rich and meaningful way and really kind of spend time to build up your own tableau whereas the castles doesn't really let you kind of have that type of intense interaction with your own tableau it kind of plays off being able to be the master builder and kind of move things around and and mess with people a little a little bit. It's really hard for me to make a decision on this because I really do enjoy both games. I'm going to take a leap of faith here, being that I haven't played Secrets yet, The Mad King, just because I am hoping that the Secrets expansion adds more kind of crunchiness to the game that it was missing out on. I know it does add more theme, and it looks a lot better, but hopefully there's a little more crunchiness if it doesn't, and I'll kind of come back later with a kind of review at the table to kind of let everyone know what I thought about it. But my heart is with the Mad King, and my head is with the Suburbia. So how about you? If you love the castles of Mad King Ludwig, let us know. Or if you like Suburbia, and you should always be like Suburbia, let us know about that. And let us know what your decision is on this intense Ted Alspach versus... Final round. Hey, guys! Guys!
2: I just I just got out of the basement. It, it took me a while. Uh, found, found about 20, 25 games. Halloween-themed. You wouldn't believe what I found. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Who knew that John was a Buffy fan? Buffy the Vampire Slayer is actually not that bad of a board game. You normally think of TV games as just quick knockoffs to make some money, but this is actually a decent game. And you wouldn't believe who one of the designers is. Rob Davio is like one of his very first games that he worked on. So I can't wait to bring that to the table. That's going to be fun. The the folks at the game group are going to love to see that. Anyway, I I told you I'd make it back for final round. So I know you guys, you gave out Halloween candy, but come on, we're gamers. We should be giving out gaming treats. So think about some uh, gaming components that you could give out, just like candy, to all the little kids who come to your door trick-or-treating. And I was thinking, I would hand out the little monsters from Rampage, because that's perfect Halloween theme. And it sort of makes me think of those, is that Reptar bars from Rugrats?
3: Yeah, Reptar bars.
2: Those are cool. Now, I doubt if the kids nowadays will remember Rugrats, but eh. But they're going to love it anyway. So that's my little Halloween treat. Daniel, what are you going to hand out to them?
3: Well, let's see. If I had my way, I would probably be handing out D20s. That's just – it's one, you know, iconic gamer piece, right? And it's something that everyone should have. Everyone should have a D20 with them as they go through life. Uh, and if I were, you know, to try to be like the uh, that one house on the block that gives out the king-size candy bars, then you just give out a full set of d d dice, right, like a tower, that's what I would definitely want to give out in terms of like gaming peripherals and that sort of thing. That'd be cool. Yeah, I think I'd that's love where that. It's
2: at. They'd go home and dump out their bag of of treats and and all the little d twenties would roll out.
3: That's yeah,
2: cool. Anthony, you even got little kids. What would you give out?
1: Ha! Uh, I love meeples. I love any game with meeples. Worker placement games are my favorites, but the little tiny meeples are a little too small. Uh, I always worries me when those tiny little components are out with my kids running around. So I would give out giant meeples. So you mentioned the rampage monsters about that big, maybe the meeples that come in viticulture, the second edition, or maybe the cowboys from Flick 'em up. Those are nice and big giant meeples, big wooden uh, people
2: safe for children under three. <laughs> exactly. Hope. Yes. I wouldn't
1: make any enemies in the neighborhood
2: with other parents. Cool. Hey, Chris, how about you? What's your Halloween treat?
0: Well, I think if you're going to give out Halloween type of components, it's probably going to be from the most recent Kickstarters, Kingdom Death Monster and the Others. Because if you're going to give something for Halloween, it should be grotesque, horrifying, nightmare-inducing miniatures that children will love and scream about for the rest of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 a a- very, it's, it's a very welcome-to-night-vale type of uh, treat for the kids. Ah, oh, Awesome. And I'm going to conclude with a disclaimer. Rampage
2: has since been renamed to Terror in Meeple City, so we don't want any copyright notices sent
0: to us. (laughs) That is our final round for the week. All right, Drew. Thanks. So that's everything for this week. Be sure to go anonymous with us by liking us on Facebook, rating us on iTunes, and Stitcher. Be sure to visit us on BoardGamersAnonymous.com, Follow us on Twitter, join the guild on BoardGameGeek, and especially don't forget about our recent Extra Life Charity Auction. It would really support the kids. And finally, if you can, we would really appreciate if you could check out our Patreon account. It is our Patreon backers that allow us each week to join you at the table. Until then, this is Chris.
2: This is Anthony. This is Daniel.
0: And this is Drew. And we will always save you a seat at the table.